Chapter Twenty One of Little Fishers and Their Nets by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The New Enterprise. One bright and never to be forgotten day, Nettie and Jerry stood together in the new room and surveyed with intense satisfaction all its appointments. They were ready to begin business. On that very evening, the room was to be open to the public. They looked at each other as they repeated that large-sounding phrase and laughed gleefully. There had been a great deal to do to get ready. Hours and even days had been spent in planning. It astonished both these young people to discover how many things there were to think of and get ready for and guard against before one could go into business. There was a time when with each new day new perplexities arose. During those days Jerry had spent a good deal of his leisure in fishing, both because at the Smiths and also at the Deckers fish were highly prized, and also because, as he confided to Nettie, a fellow could somehow think a great deal better when his fingers were at work, and when it was still everywhere about him. There were times, however, when his solitude was disturbed. There had been one day in particular when something happened about which he did not tell Nettie. He was in his fishing suit, which, though clean and whole, was not exactly the style of dress which a boy would wear to a party, and he stood leaning against a rail fence, rod in hand, trying to decide whether he should try his luck on that side or jump across the logs to a shadier spot, trying also to decide just how they could manage to get another lamp to stand on the reading-table, when he heard voices under the trees just back of him. They were whispering in that sort of penetrating whisper that floats so far in the open air, and which some, girls particularly, do not seem to know can be heard a few feet away. Jerry could hear distinctly. In fact, unless he stopped his ears with his hands, he could not help hearing and the old rule that listeners never hear any good of themselves applied here. "'There's that Jerry who lives at the Smiths,' said Whisperer Number 1. "'Do look what a fright! I guess he has borrowed a pair of Job Smith's overalls. Isn't it a shame that such a nice-looking boy is deserted in that way, and left to run with all sorts of people?' "'I heard that he wasn't deserted,' that his father was only staying out west or down south or somewhere for a while. "'Oh, that's a likely story,' said Whisperer Number 1, her voice unconsciously growing louder. "'Just as if any father who was anybody would leave a boy at Job Smith's for months and never come near him. I think it is real mean. They say the Smiths keep him at work all the while fishing.' He about supports them, and the Deckers, too, with fish and things. At this point the amused listener nearly forgot himself and whistled. Oh, well, that's as good a way as any to spend his time. He knows enough to catch fish and do such things, and when he is old enough I suppose he will learn a trade. But I must say I think he is a nice-looking fellow. He would be if he dressed decently— the boys like him real well. They say he is smart, and I shouldn't wonder if he was. His eyes twinkle as though he might be. If he wouldn't keep running with that Decker girl all the time, he might be noticed now and then. At this point came up a third young miss who spoke louder. 
Jerry recognized her voice at once as belonging to Lorena Barstow. "'Girls, what are you doing here? Why, there is that Irish boy. I wonder if he wouldn't sell us some fish. They say he is very anxious to earn money. I should think he would be, to get himself some decent clothes. Or maybe he wants to make his dear Nan a present.' Then followed a laugh which was quickly hushed, lest the victim might hear. But the victim had heard and looked more than amused. His eyes flashed with a new idea. "'Much obliged, Miss Lorena,' he said softly, nodding his head. "'If I don't act on your hint, it will be because I am not so bright as you give me credit for being.' Then the first whisperer took up the story. "'Say, girls, I heard that Ermina did really mean to invite him to her candy-pull, and the Decker girl, too. She says they both belong to the Sunday school, and she is going to invite all the boys and girls of that age in the school, and her mother thinks it would not be nice to leave them out. You know the Farleys are real queer about some things.' Lorena Barstow flamed into a voice which was almost loud. Then I say, let's just not speak a word to either of them the whole evening. Ermina Farley need not think that because she lives in a grand house, and her father has so much money, she can rule us all. I, for one, don't mean to associate with a drunkard's daughter, and I won't be made to, by the Farleys or anybody else. Her father isn't a drunkard now. Why, didn't you know he has joined the church? and last Wednesday night they say he was in prayer-meeting. Oh, yes, and what does that amount to? My father says it won't last six weeks. He says drunkards are not to be trusted. They never reform. And what if he does? That doesn't make Nan Decker anything but a dowdy, not fit for us girls to go with. And as for that Irish boy, why doesn't Ermina go down on Paddy Lane and invite the whole tribe of Irish if she is so fond of them? Hush, Lorena, Ermina will hear you. Sure enough, at that moment came Ermina, springing briskly over logs and underbrush. Have I kept you waiting? she asked gaily. The moss was so lovely back there, I wanted to carry the whole of it home to mother. Why, girls, there is that boy who sits across from us in Sabbath school. "'How do you do?' she said pleasantly, for at that moment Jerry turned and came toward them, lifting his hat as politely as though it was in the latest shape and style. "'Have you had good luck in fishing?' "'Very good for this side. The fish are not so plenty here generally as they are further up. I heard you speaking of fish, Miss Barstow, and wondering whether I would not supply your people.' I should be very glad to do so occasionally. I am a pretty successful fellow so far as fishing goes. You should have seen the cheeks of the whisperers then. Ermina looked at them, perplexed for a moment, then seeing they answered only with blushes and silence, she spoke. Mamma would be very glad to get some. She was saying yesterday she wished she knew someone of whom she could get fish as soon as they were caught. Have you some today for sale?' Three beauties which I would like nothing better than to sell, for I am in special need of the money just now. Very well, said Ermina promptly. I am sure Mamma will like them. Could you carry them down now? I am on my way home and could show you where to go. Ermina Farley, remonstrated Lorena Barstow in a low shocked tone, but Ermina only said, 
Goodbye, girls. I shall expect you early on Thursday evening, and walked briskly down the path toward the road with Jerry beside her swinging his fish. If the girls could have seen his eyes just then, they would have been sure that they twinkled. They had a pleasant walk, and Ermina did actually invite him to her candy pull on Thursday evening. Not only that, but she asked if he would take an invitation from her to Nettie Decker. She lives next door to you, I think, said Ermina. I would like very much to have her come. I think she is so pleasant and unselfish. It is just a few boys and girls of our age in the Sunday school. How glad Jerry was that she had invited them! He had been so afraid that her courage would not be equal to it. Glad was he also to be able to say, frankly, that both he and Nettie had an engagement for Thursday evening. He would be sure to give Nettie the invitation, but he knew she could not come. Of course she could not, he said to himself. Isn't that our opening evening? But all the same it was very nice in Ermina Farley to have invited them. "'Here's another lamp for the table,' said Jerry gaily, as he rushed into the new room an hour later, and tossed down a shining silver dollar. He had exchanged the fish for it. Then he sat down and told part of their story to Nettie. About the whisperers, however, he kept silent. What was the use in telling that?' but from them he had gotten another idea. Look here, Nettie, some evening we'll have a candy pull early with just a few to help and sell it cheap to customers. So now they stood together in the room to see if there was another thing to be done before the opening. A row of shelves, planed and fitted by Norm, were ranged two-thirds of the way up the room, and on them were displayed tempting pans of ginger cookies, doughnuts, molasses cookies, and soft gingerbread. Sandwiches made of good bread and nice slices of ham were shut into the corner cupboard to keep from drying. There was also a plate of cheese which was a present from Mrs. Smith. She had sent it in with the explanation that it would be a blessing to her if that cheese could get eaten by somebody. She bought it once, a purpose, as a treat for Job, and it seemed it wasn't the kind he liked, and none of the rest of them liked any kind, so there it had stood on the shelf eyeing her for days. There was to be coffee. Nettie had planned for that. Because, she explained, they all drink beer, and things to eat can never take the place of things to drink. It had been a difficult matter to get the materials together for this beginning. All the money which came in from the little old grandmothers, as well as that which Jerry contributed, had been spent in flour and sugar and eggs and milk. Nettie was amazed and dismayed to find how much even soft gingerbread cost, when every pan of it had to be counted in money. A good deal of arithmetic had been spent on the question, how low can we possibly sell this and not actually lose money by it? Of course, some allowance had to be made for waste. We'll have to name it waste, explained Nettie with an anxious face, because it won't bring in any money. But of course not a scrap of it will be wasted. But what is left over and gets too dry to sell, we shall have to eat. Jerry shook his head. We must sell it, he said, with the air of a financier. Then he went away thoughtfully to consult Mrs. Job, and came back triumphant. 
she would take for a week at half price all the stale cake they might have left. That means ginger cake, he explained. She says the cookies and things will keep for weeks without getting too old. Sure enough, said radiant Nettie. I did not think of that. There were other things to think of. Some of them greatly perplexed Jerry. He had to catch many fish before they were thought out. Then he came with his views to Nettie. See here, do you understand about this firm business? It must be you and me, you know? Nettie's bright face clouded. Why, I thought, she said, speaking slowly, I thought you said, or you meant, I mean, I thought it was to help Norm, and that he would be a partner. Jerry shook his head. Can't do it, he said decidedly. Look here, Nettie, we'll get into trouble right away if we take in a partner. He believes in drinking beer and smoking cigarettes and doing things of that sort. Now if he as a partner introduces anything of the kind, what are we to do? Sure enough! The tone expressed conviction, but not relief. Then what are we to do, Jerry? I don't see how we are going to help Norm any. I do, quite as well as though he was a partner. Norm is a good-natured fellow. He likes to help people. I think he likes to do things for others better than for himself. If we explain to him that we want to go into this business, and that you can't wait on customers because you are a girl, and it wouldn't be the thing, and I can't because it is in your house, and I promised my father I would spend my evenings at home and write a piece of a letter to him every evening, and ask him to come to the rescue and keep the room open, and sell the things for us, don't you believe he will be twice as likely to do it as though we made him as young as ourselves and tried to be his equals? Then Nettie's face was bright. What a contriver you are, she said admiringly. I think that will do just splendidly. She was right, it did. Norm might have curled his lip and said poo to the scheme had he been placed on an equality for he was getting to the age when to be considered young or childish is a crime in a boy's eyes. But to be appealed to as one who could help the young fry out of their dilemma, and at the same time provide himself with a very pleasant place to stay, and very congenial employment while he stayed, was quite to Norm's mind. And as it was an affair of the children's, he made no suggestions about beer or cigars. It is true he thought of them, but he thought at once that neither Nettie nor Jerry would probably have anything to do with them, and as he had no dignity to sustain, he decided to not even mention the matter. These two planned really better than they knew in appealing to Norm for help. His curious pride would never have allowed him to say to a boy, We keep cakes and coffee for sale at our house, come in and try them. But it was entirely within the line of his ideas of respectability to say, what do you think those two young ones over at our house have thought up next? They have opened an eating-house, cakes and things such as my sister can make, and coffee, dirt cheap. I've promised to run the thing for them in the evening a while. I suppose you'll patronize them? And the boys, who would have sneered at his setting himself up in business, answered, What, the little chap who lives at Smith's? And your little sister? Ho, oh, what a notion! I don't know but it is a bright one, though, as sure as you live. 
There isn't a spot in this town where a fellow can get a decent bite unless he pays his week's wages for it. Boys, let's go around and see what the little chaps are about. The very first evening was a success. Nettie had assured herself that she must not be disappointed if no one came at first. You see, it is a new thing, she explained to her mother. Of course it will take them a little while to get acquainted with it. If nobody at all comes tonight, I shall not be disappointed. Shall you, Jerry? Why, yes, said Jerry, I should, because I know of one boy who is coming and is going to have a ginger snap and a glass of milk, and that is little Ted Locker who lives down the lane. They about starved that boy. I shall like to see him get something good. He has three cents, and I assured him he could get a brimming glass of milk and a ginger snap for that. He was as delighted as possible. Poor fellow, said Nettie. I mean to tell Norm to let him have two snaps, wouldn't you? And Jerry agreed, not stopping to explain that he had furnished the three cents with which Ted was to treat his poor little stomach. So the work began in benevolence. Still Nettie was anxious, not to say nervous. "'You will have to eat soft gingerbread at your house for breakfast, dinner, and supper, I am afraid,' she said to Jerry with a half-laugh, as they stood looking at it. "'I don't know why I made four tins of it. I seemed to get in a gale when I was making it.' "'Never you fear,' said Jerry cheerily. "'I'll be willing to eat such gingerbread as that three times a day for a week.' between you and me, lowering his voice, Sarah Ann can't make very good gingerbread. When we get such a run of custom that we have none left over to sell, I wish you'd teach her how. I do not know that any member of the two households could be said to be more interested in the new enterprise than Mr. Decker. He helped set up the shelves, and he made a little corner shelf on purpose for the lamp, and he watched the entire preparations with an interest which warmed Nettie's heart. I haven't said anything about Mr. Decker during these days, because I found it hard to say. You are acquainted with him as a sour-faced, unreasonable, beer-drinking man, when suddenly he became a man who said good morning when he came into the room, and who sat down smooth-shaven and with quiet eyes and smile to his breakfast, and spoke gently to Susie when she tipped her cup of water over, and kissed little Sate when he lifted her to her seat, and waited for Mrs. Decker to bring the coffee-pot, then bowed his head and in clear tones asked a blessing on the food, how am I to describe him to you? The change was something which even Mrs. Decker, who watched him every minute he was in the house, and thought of him all day long, could not get accustomed to. It astonished her so to think that she, Mrs. Decker, lived in a house where there was a prayer made every night and morning, and where each evening after supper Nettie read a few verses in the Bible, and her father prayed, that every time she passed her own mother's Bible, which had been brought out of its hiding-place in an old trunk, she said under her breath, "'Thank the Lord!' No, she did not understand it, the marvellous change which had come over her husband." She had known him as a kind man, he had been that when she married him, and for a few months afterwards. She had heard him speak pleasantly to Norm, and show him much attention. 
He had done it before they were married, and for a while afterwards. But there was a look in his face, and a sound in his voice now, such as she had never seen nor heard before. "'It isn't Decker,' she said in a burst of confidence to Nettie. "'He is just as good as he can be, and I don't know anything in the world he ain't willing to do for me, or for any of us. And it is beautiful, the whole of it. But it is all new.' I used to think if the man I married could only come back to me, I should be perfectly happy. But I don't know this man at all. He seems to me sometimes most like an angel. Probably you would have laughed at this. Joe Decker did not look in the least like the picture you have in your mind of an angel. But perhaps if you had known him only a few weeks before, as Mrs. Decker did, and could have seen the wonderful change in him which she saw, the contrast might even have suggested angels. Nettie understood it. She struggled with her timidity and her ignorance of just what ought to be said. Then she made her earnest reply. Mother, I'll tell you the difference. Father prays, and when people pray you know and mean it, as he does, they get to looking very different. But Mrs. Decker did not pray. End of chapter 21